response. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome. 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 Your, your day. We're so glad that you've tuned into the show. Hope you can stay with us for the next hour or so that we'll be on the air until 10 o'clock here, Eastern Time in the United States. And and we're uh, glad we can be with you this week. And hope that the things we talk about today will be of some interest to you, some benefit to you, mainly in a spiritual way as you continue on a journey here in life. What we're trying to do on this show is talk to people about being just a Christian, not according to all the different traditions and commandments of men, all the different ways that humans have decided that they want to live life, but go back to the New Testament to find out how to live. And that's why it's called We Are Just Christians, because that's all that we are here at the Church of Christ on Savona Boulevard is just Christians. We pray that uh, you have an interest in these things, and most people do. When I talk to people today who are interested in spiritual things at all, you know, they want to know what the Bible says. They, they want to know uh, how to be just a Christian. They don't know how to do that, and that's what this show is about. So when you call into the show, and we'll give you the numbers in just a second, we're going to point you to the, what some scriptures say about that subject, and then you can take a look at those yourself. You can think about them compare them to what other things that uh, other other scriptures and then you can reach a conclusion and you can live by that and so all the practices all the things that we do here uh, on this show and at this church are based upon that very idea of being just a Christian so um, uh, sounds like I just got word that we don't really have a good connection so I hope that we can get that problem squared away here pretty soon not sure what to do about that uh, but uh, should I should I blame AT and T? Well, we have Xfinity now, You're so right. I guess it's Comcast. Maybe yeah. maybe it's one of our maybe it's something to do with one of our computers here. I kind of doubt that, but because uh, we uh, had a good connection okay. a few minutes ago, we've lost the echo. That's all I can say. Any uh, in any event, uh, we're not sure. We're not sure. So I guess I'm gonna have to go on. I I don't know how to be a it can't be an engineer and talk at the same time. Guys <laughs> like Ray at the radio station can do that. I can only partially do that. I can give I could give Gary instructions how to get up on a chair and, and grab the the uh, feed for the for the wired internet. And that's one of the problems using a, wi- a, a wireless system here like we're doing right now. 99% of the time it works real well and then other times it just doesn't work well at Sometime, all. Sometimes this morning it was different and we couldn't figure out why it was different. Yeah, something was different but put everything back in the box, a suitcase we keep it in, it's all padded. Put everything away when we get done with the program, open it back up the next week, and some little gremlins have been in there turning knobs and changing things. I don't know how it happens that way, but sometimes it does. Well, anyway, we'll, we'll continue on this morning, and if you want to text us, if you can hear us, you can do that. The number is 772-260-6120. We'll give you that number to start with. That's just a text number. If you can't hear us, as they say, Call us. <laughs> let us know if you can't hear us. In any event, let me give you the numbers to reach us here on We Are Just Christian. It's a live call-in show. And uh, the number to reach us is 772-340-1590. 772-340-1590 is the, is the number to reach us. Uh, Ray will, at the station, they'll take your call. you will let us know about that. We'll get you on there as soon as we possibly can. And we'll have a conversation, if possible, with you about that. Uh, some people like to ask their question, hang up. Other people want to talk. And we, if you want to talk to us, here's the ground rules. We'd like to have a conversation with you. 
We're going to listen to your question, try to give you an answer, maybe try to get some clarification back and forth. And it may end up that we agree about you know, what we're going to say, what's being said. We may agree about the issue, or it may be that we disagree. In either event, we're going to give you the last word. We're not going to try to take advantage of you or embarrass you in some way. Uh, no shouting matches, anything like that. And I guess you can shout at us. We're not going to shout back. But the point is that to learn something and have a conversation. Of course, we may not agree. But we can certainly both look at what the scriptures say and then try to make up our mind and, and change what we're doing if we need to. So in any event, uh, that's the way the show works. And uh, we'd be glad to talk with you. If you want to stay on and ask several questions, that's okay, too. We do that. So 772-340-1590. Now, there's a couple other ways to get a hold of us. One way is, is uh, by email, which is at, at justchristians at att.net. Justchristians at att.net is the email address. We can't check email really well during the show, but we'll get your email today or this week or whatever you send it. And we'll can, we can respond to that, either on air or just off air. <clears throat> Another way a lot of people like to get a hold of this is by text message, which is, there's two numbers for that. I have a text, I have a, a cell with my text number on it, and Gary has the same thing. You can text either one of us, and I'll share that with Gary if you text me. 772-260-6120. 772-260-6120. And then Gary's text number is 772 260 6220 is Gary's text number. So you can reach us today during the show, anytime during the week. Uh, we'll be glad to, to take your text message. In fact, we, we really are in the middle of answering, uh, I think, about three questions we got by text right. message a couple of weeks ago, Gary, a week before last, um, by text message. And, and so we're going to continue that and, unless, some, unless one of you wants to change the subject. If you want to change the subject, feel free to call in and change the subject. We give our callers precedence over all the other ways of communicating with us. If you want to call in, uh, text, I mean, uh, call in the radio station. We'll be glad to talk with you. But uh, we always come prepared to talk about something, and so we're going to continue to discuss a couple of these questions that came from a, a, from a listener in Georgia uh, about a couple of Bible topics. And so with, without being completely completely repetitive, Gary, about these things. Let me read the questions, and we, we talked about at least one of these, uh, and partially another one, last week, but you, I think you told me a minute ago you think we need to summarize. Yeah, I need to, we need to summarize right. the first one, I think. Right. There are differences, but there are definite differences between John's baptism and baptism that Jesus commanded in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All right, well, let me read the question. The, fir the first question was, in Luke 3, 3 and Mark 1, 4, John the baptizer, Baptist, preaches baptism for the remission of sins prior to the death of Christ. How do you think this can be since Christ had not yet made that, that physical sacrifice? So and I, I think part of the understanding that this listener has, which is correct, is that baptism is not just a ritual that you go to. It's intricately tied to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. According to Paul in Romans 6, like 3 through 6, he says, We are buried with Christ in baptism, that we might be raised to walk in newness of life, that we might be raised up like he was. So it's tied to his death, burial, and resurrection. And yet, and we find in Acts chapter 2, and, and where Peter preaches 
baptism for the remission of sins in the name of Jesus Christ. Uh, Jesus says, Mark 16, 16, repent and be baptized for the remission of your sins. And so we see that um, these things are connected up to one another, and they're connected not as just a ritual that you go through or something you do to a baby, but something the believer does in response to Jesus Christ and, and belief in him. So the question is, how could John be preaching a baptism for the remission of sins before Jesus came? Well, there's a couple of answers to that. Um, where were you going to go, Garrett? So we gave a lengthy well, answer last basically, week. Where do you want to go to summarize this? Basically, they are both baptisms of repentance for the remission of sins, but there seems to be some knowledge that went with the baptism that Jesus Jesus commanded in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. I'm, I'm just going to start reading at 19. He says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. Basically, they were taught some things, and some of the things that he says there in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit involved knowledge that apparently was not part of John's baptism. Yes. And, and the reason... Well, it couldn't have been. Well, not part of John's because something had changed. Something, something had changed. Right. His death, burial, and resurrection had changed things between John's baptism and the time that Jesus gave this command to his disciples. I, I believe this is just before he ascended back into heaven in Matthew 28. Right. Uh, there's also a difference in this, Gary. I didn't even mention this last week. Interrupt you just a little bit. It says that, that they came out to John the Baptist in Luke 3, 6, and, they were, he, and, and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. The confession that we make, according to Romans 10, 10, when we're baptized into Christ, is not a confession of our sins, but a confession. We repent of our sins. We confess that Jesus Christ is, is Lord, is the Son of God. That's the confession that the eunuch made in Acts chapter 8, verse 36. When he, when he was being taught about Jesus, he comes, they come to water and says, what, here's water, what hinders me from being baptized? And Philip said to him, if you believe with all your heart you may, and the eunuch said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son, the Son of, God. of God. And so they went down the water and bapt- they both went down the water and he baptized him. So the, the, the repentance, I mean, the confession that you make when you're baptized into Christ is uh, one of belief that he's the Son of God. You repent of your sins, and in that sense you confess your sins or say, yes, this is what I... A confession is saying what it, saying the same thing literally in Greek or saying what's real. So you lied and you say, yes, I lied. You know, you confess it or bring your knowledge and everybody else's knowledge to the fact of what's true. Right. That's a confession. And, and it helps us answer the, the subsequent questions when we understand the differences and I think what what the things were when we come up to whether, I, I think one of the subsequent questions was, uh, did all of those who uh, were baptized by John have to be baptized again after yes, the I, death I of think Christ? that's a, another, that's question number... That's question. Yeah, do, that's, do you believe that those who were baptized with the baptism of John had to be baptized again after the death of Christ. Now there we went to Acts chapter 18, 18 and showed that some who were baptized only with the baptism of John didn't right. know about Jesus per se. Uh, Paul baptized them again or baptized them in the name of Jesus Christ at that point right. in time in Acts chapter 18. Now we don't have records of indiv- a lot of individuals doing this, but apparently that's what they did. 
We well, don't even have records of the apostles being baptized again. First. Well, it might help to read Acts chapter 9. It's actually chapter 8, 19. Is it 19? Yes, I, yes. I thought it was uh, Beginning uh, around verse 1, it says, And it happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus. And finding disciples, he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And so they said to him, We have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, Into what were you baptized? Now, just going that far, Paul expected them to know some information about the Holy Spirit having been baptized, and they didn't. They were only baptized into John's baptism, and this this indicated to him that there was missing knowledge. That's why I say that there was there was knowledge about Jesus, uh, the Father, the Son, yeah, it's and the Holy Spirit. It's not a ritual. It takes knowledge to actually to, obey Christ in right, this matter. Right, to obey him. And he goes on, basically then Paul said, John indeed baptized with the baptism of repentance, which is the same as what he was, Jesus did, saying to the people that they should believe on him who should come after him, that is, Christ Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord. Basically, so he baptized them by the authority of Jesus. So I, my, my conclusion is there's knowledge and authority associated. And when that knowledge and authority is absent, yes, you need to be baptized in the authority of Jesus. Right. And we can maybe apply that perhaps in just a minute something else. Here, I'll throw a monkey wrench in here, Gary. Because <laughs> in thinking about this week, I, I thought of another passage that, and reread it, and it is interesting. In uh, John 4, here's Jesus toward the beginning of his ministry, although John is not necessarily chronological. It was fairly... It's not like at the last thing he does. It says that, therefore, John 4, 1, therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. So it just mentions, and, and the real story here is when he came to the Samaritan woman at the well, right. which is what most people focus on in John 4. But this little statement that, that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus himself was making disciples and baptizing them before his own death. So it isn't just John's John's uh, making disciples or baptizing people. Jesus himself was, although it says he himself did not baptize. Here's two uses of the word baptize. One is, to, one of them is the actual do the dipping, and the, the other, other is is to make someone, the other have is someone to make believe. someone believe to become baptized, or or, or really here it's who you're baptized, whose name you're baptized into, as it were. So, Jesus himself was baptizing disciples to himself. And yet, at the end of his life, as you just read, he tells them to tell everybody to be baptized in the remission of sins in his name. That seems to be something different. And there's no way a person could be baptized into the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, like Paul talks about, until after the death, burial, and resurrection had taken place. Yes. So this is another case. Baptism itself, I think, indicated a couple of things. It did indicate a death or a submission to someone, a submission because you're giving, you're dying, as it were. It also had some element of cleansing in it. To the Jews at that time, baptism had an element of cleansing, although it wasn't commanded in the Old Testament. They would often baptize these proselytes to cleanse them, as it were. So there's an element of cleansing in baptism, an element of, of discipleship in baptism. Jesus specifically then applies this as to how to become a true disciple of his after his death, burial, and resurrection. Now, although it doesn't say this, we have some indication that people who were baptized earlier you know, um, than this 
were baptized again. Now, here's the thing. I'm, I'm curious. This isn't directed at the person who asked this question, but in reality, these questions don't have a whole lot to do with us because we, we no, don't no live, one that don't, I no one that I know of is baptizing in John's baptism today. Right, only th we are all on the other side of the cross, and so the commandments of Jesus Christ in Matthew 28 and Mark 16:16 16, 16, and his apostles in Acts 2, all through the book of Acts, and then Paul's teaching about baptism in Colossians uh, 3, or Colossians 2, and also in uh, you just mentioned it, uh, uh, Romans 6, and also 1 Peter 3. All these passages tell us that if you want to become a disciple of Jesus Christ, you are baptized for the mission of sins into his name or by his authority. That's right. how people become disciples of Christ today. Based on their belief and repentance and confession of him as Lord, they're baptized into his name. That, that's how it happens today. And, and so this is merely almost somewhat of a theoretical question, except that, Oh, I interrupted you to hear you were going to say Well, something. I was going to say, except that there is some knowledge that appears to be necessary uh, to understand that baptism and what you're doing. That well, yes, that, that's, a, that's incumbent on the belief right. and the repentance and the confession. All those three things uh, require a lot of knowledge. And so, therefore, you, you have to have that knowledge. And that's why you can't baptize babies. And you can't be baptized in somebody for somebody else, as the Mormons do, or anything like that. It requires you submitting to Christ, believing in him, confessing his name, turning away from your old life, and then being willing to be buried in water and raised up to be a new creature. And so that's what's required. Now, what the reason some people bring this up though, and I don't think this is the I don't think this is the reason why uh, the lady who texted this this question, I don't think she believes this from reading what she said here is that a people have been trying to figure out a way, Gary, for a long time to make, to make it so that the baptism of Jesus Christ for remission of sins is not something that's necessary. And so they want to try to go to John's baptism and say, well, you know, John baptized too. And, and so they're trying to diminish the responsibility of people today to be baptized for remission of sins in the name of Jesus Christ. They want to make it a secondary commandment, something that happens after you're saved. And so they're, they just continually, like they go to the thief on the cross to talk about what you're supposed to do, you know, now that the church has come and Jesus established his kingdom. They want to go back to the thief on the cross to talk about salvation. John, going back to John the Baptist baptism and just making a parallel here and really wasn't necessary. Uh, I think sometimes people use the, this information that way. That's simply a misuse of the information. Now, we have a caller on the line. Hold on to what you're thinking there, Gary. Let's, okay. Let's take a call. Are you there, Ken? Good. Uh, speak up a little bit. I can That's hear you better. better now, yes. Oh, yes. Uh -huh. Yeah. Okay. So uh, now, of course, that's not a custom. That's not something that's found in the law of Moses. 
that was a custom of the Jews at the time of Christ, correct? And and your your application of that would be, I can think of a couple, but. He was fulfilling the law when he did what? It broke up a little bit. Okay, so I would say he was fulfilling. I would have said I thought I think he's fulfilling the command of God's prophet John to be baptized for repentance. And you're saying what he was doing is also, at least, fulfilling what what his role would be as a bridegroom later on, or is as the bride of the of, of the church, a bridegroom of the church. So the, they would have recognized that at that time as a bride being cleansed before his wedding, or a bridegroom, a, bri- a bride, a bridegroom being cleansed before his wedding. Right. Okay, and then and then of course the bride being washed, we ha- we find that metaphor in Ephesians chapter five, that it's that we're it's by the washing of regeneration. Well, actually in, in Jude, uh, not Jude, my brain is washing of regeneration. Titus three, and in Ephesians five about the washing of regeneration of the bride at the at a wedding, as it were. So th- that's a parallel that the Jews of that time would have understood. We don't have any customs like that in our society, so it kind of gets lost in the in in the transfer from one culture to another to some degree. That that that's also in Ephesians five twenty six. Yeah, I that's the verse I'm thinking of. Yes, he, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. That's speaking of the bride of Christ. Right. And then that he might present her to himself a glorious church, making sure that it's referring to the church, not having a spot or wrinkle or any such thing. Yes. So there is there is a cleansing of the bride, and that that occurs at I believe at at the baptism of the people who are of the ones who are the bride of Christ, the church, and then there's the cleansing of the bridegroom, which occurred when he was baptized of John in the wilderness. Go ahead, Ken. I think you have more to say about this, I think. Okay, let me look that up. By the way, and just so our listeners understand this, if I'm getting the point that you're making, this the custom then of um, the way the Jews did this, where the groom leaves his father's house with his groomsmen and comes and gets the bride, with a, and, a, and a procession leads her back 
to the place of the wedding and then takes her to his father's house. This is the parallel of Christ coming to receive his bride and then taking his bride to his father's house after this final judgment, right? Now, you mentioned Ephesians, I mean, is it, you say Philippians 1, 5? Doesn't no, that doesn't that fit. That doesn't comport. Let me. Um, what's the verse? You're, what's the reference? What's the thought of the reference you're looking for? Yeah. Well, Paul says in Galatians, "You are heirs according to the promise." Uh, that would make them heirs being part of the family. Is that the one you're thinking of? Are you of? thinking Ephesians 5.31? Uh, someone just texted in. I'm not sure that that's, e that's it either. Uh, that's talking. I'm sorry. I couldn't catch that, Ken. It's what? Paul says in, in Ephesians 5. 30, we are members of his body, of his flesh and his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. I think that, that may say somewhat like the same thing, but it's really, um, I think you were talking about being members of, of um, adoption. I mean, I, I can look up the verses on adoption and so forth. I don't know if that's the ones you're talking about or not. Of course, Paul is quoting, as John texted in Genesis 2.24, when he, when he refers here to the man leaving us. What's that? Ephesians 1.5. All right, well, let me, let, me go, let me go look here. Maybe I, maybe I just didn't see what you're going to talk about, so... Let me look it back up. I moved away from there. One five. Okay. Okay. I got. I got it now. Not not. Um, not Philippians. He's, he has predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will. And um, there's there are quite a few references to uh, ad adoption in the New Testament. Uh, well, there's also Galatians 3 and verse 29, and if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to promise. Basically, he's he's uh, if you are Christ, you are part of that that family and heirs according to the promise. Therefore, if you're an heir, you've been adopted into that family. Yes, basically. And and you have um, well, he says he in Galatians 4. Uh, he came to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons in Ephesians uh, 1 5 you have them at habit and there's places in Hebrews and Romans several places that we were we were adopted as part of God's family now the interesting thing Ken and someone else brought this I think John texted this in it's odd that the man leaves the, his father's house rather than to bring the bride back home so in Ephesians 2 24 I mean, excuse me, in Genesis 2.24 and Ephesians 5, where he quotes this passage, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. 
and then you have this analogy of the bride bringing the bride, I mean the bridegroom bringing the bride back to his father's house. Now my answer to that would be that Genesis reflected the cultural, the, the culture of that time, the time of Moses and before, where generally speaking, um, and you can read about this in some of these archaeology and cult, ancient culture books, that apparently many of these cultures in that part of the world had the idea that that uh, the bride did not leave her family, but the husband joined the uh, wife's family. And yet you see in the life, of, and yet countercultural to that, you see Abraham's family went and got the brides and brought them back because they were idolatrous. They went and got the bride and brought it back to the to the male's side of the family, and. The analogy of the New Testament seems to draw on a bigger picture of Christ coming to receive his bride, the church, and taking the bride back to his father's house, like Ken, like Ken is saying. What else you want to add about this, Ken? Uh, well, remind me, because I'm not sure. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay, the canopy. I started to say canopy. Over in a Jewish wedding, the bridegroom stand underneath a canopy. Hmm. What? Well, what's the difference? Just however they want to do it. I see. So they would be bringing both pa parents in. Of course, I always tell young couples that when you marry somebody, you're marrying their family. You better pay attention to that and understand that clearly. You're marrying their family. Sometimes that's problematic. Other times it's, it's a blessing. But you definitely are. And, and of course, in, in this case, in the case of this parallel with Christ, when you accept, when you accept Jesus, you're accepting his father. And you're part of the household of, household of God, it says in the later in the New Testament. We're all part of the household of God. And so um, there's, this, there's that analogy then. Come into a new house, a great house, household of God. And he is the son of the house, the heir. We are co-heirs with Christ in the house of God. We're joint heirs with Christ, the Bible says, with him. So we receive all the blessings of the Father, the same as the same as his son, even though we're not actually sons in the same way that Christ is. We become children of God or sons of God, and we receive all the blessings in Christ. So there's this great parallel with marriage. Well, Jesus says in John, I think it's John 12:44. Jesus cried out and said, He who believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me, referring to the Father. Yes, there's this connection. Yeah. Now, Ken, did you want to connect this up with our question about the baptism of John the Baptist, or were you making, just making a point about um, washing and baptism in general? Right, because you're not been you haven't been washed and brought in. Yes, and the bride and groom had to be the bride had to be washed for it could be she could be married and brought into the family. That's right, in a ceremonial way, as it were. What's that? 
Yeah. Romans 9. I believe that's I believe it's Romans 9 or it's Romans 11. Now you're making me doubt. Yeah. I I like I forgot most things too. Let me see if I can find it here. <laughs> oh, I want to say it's chapter 9. I don't know why I can't um, for, be, be sure about that uh, in my head. Well, the things we're talking about, Mike, is one of the reasons that we need to understand the symbolism that's in both the Old and New Testament. The, the ideas are often presented in symbols or things that represent, you know, the real thing. And, and it's not always described explicitly in that way. And that's why a study of symbols and understanding that these things may be symbolic or work at least in part like the things that they uh, that they're used as examples is is important to our understanding of both the Old and New Testament. Yes, it's in uh, the passage you're referring to is in Romans 11. Now, obviously, marriage and being made part of a family is a different a metaphor or figure of speech than being grafted in to the branch of a tree. But I think the out the uh, meaning of that or the out uh, the the, uh, the, say, result. the result of that is the same as you say that you partake of this. So he said talks about the Jew and Gentile that if some of the branches were broken off, this is Romans 11:17. If some of the branches were broken off, and you, that is the Gentile, being a wild olive tree were grafted in among them, and with them became a partaker of the root and fatness of the olive tree. Do not boast against the branches. But if you do boast, remember that you do not support the root, but the root supports you. So and the, we could go on talk about this analogy, but he's saying that you, when you are grafted into a tree, you, you partake of the fatness and the goodness of the, and the, uh, of the, root, of the root of the tree, which in his analogy here is the Jews and God's God's children yeah. in the Old Testament. So uh, you Gentiles shouldn't boast against them. And so he's saying there that to become a part of Christ is to be grafted in to the root uh, of the tree, which is God and his, and his family and righteousness, goodness. And it's also you become an heir according to the promises made to Abraham, yeah. as, as Paul is saying. Um, I keep coming back to the idea, though, how do we decide whether someone needs to be baptized again or not if they were baptized in the baptism of John, say, after the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And again, it keeps coming back to the knowledge of the individual who was baptized. There's certain knowledge that's implied that they should have and that it be done by the authority of Jesus. Yes. Th those, those, once you answer those questions, then you can then you can determine whether or not someone needs to be baptized by the authority of Jesus. Um, I, I keep coming back, that's how we answer that question. Mm -hmm. And it, it wasn't necessary, I don't think, in all cases. We, we don't know explicitly what Jesus taught prior to his giving the commission to the disciples. You mentioned him making disciples and baptizing, but also in Luke 16:16, 16, 16, Jesus said the law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God has been preached, and everyone is pressing into it. So he was preaching the kingdom of God. Right. He just hadn't. The means of getting into the kingdom had not been 
spelled out as they are for us today. today. That's, That's right. What I'm trying to get at. This is a question that isn't as practical to us because Jesus has told us in this day and age how we come into his kingdom, how we come into his authority, how we're saved, how our sins are remitted. And that's by faith, repentance, and baptism in his name. So this is an academic question which enlightens us as to this process. But uh, John texts in and says, I think Jesus was initially a follower of John, but had different ideas. When John was killed, Jesus, Jesus set out on his ministry. Matthew 11, 11 shows how much Jesus loved John, which is all about John being the greatest of, the greatest of any man ever born, but also shows Jesus, that Jesus had a different message so Jesus had people baptized into his message. Well, I, I, don't, I don't disagree in some respects with this, but I do disagree that Jesus was initially a follower of John because John himself says that that wasn't the case. Right. Particularly John himself in... says, the ones coming after me is what I'm teaching you about, and he's greater than me. Follow him. Behold the Lamb of God. Yeah, that, so, that's clear from the first chapter so of the they Gospel of John. They weren't competing against each other. His disciples may have thought about that, when they come to Jesus and say, you know, what's going to happen to John? And they may have thought that, but John didn't have any illusion about who he was or who yeah. Jesus was. And I don't think Jesus had any illusions about who he was or where no, his place I, was No, I don't either. think he was like, well, I, got, I guess I just got different ideas than my cousin, so I'll start my own ministry and baptize people into that. Uh, that that's not the process. I don't think the New Testament says that's the process that happened. That might be, you know, what some theologian says. So, but Jesus had in mind all along uh, the, 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 this part of the this part of Bible history is about uh, is a period of transition. We talked about that last week. Yes. A period of transition from a time when, uh, in, as far as the Bible is concerned, when the Jews were uh, the focus of God's real spiritual energy on the earth, even though He intended to, intended to save all men, and He was transitioning to this coming of the true kingdom of God in Christ. And so there's this overlap for some years here between these two. Uh, two ideas merging together. The outgrowth, the church, is the true thing that God had in mind all along. And salvation in Jesus Christ and coming into Christ through faith, repentance, and baptism is what God had all in mind all along. But he did some things, starting with the ministry of John the Baptist, to get people to repent and to confess their sins and be washed and, and turn away from that life, turn to God, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Doesn't mean the kingdom is here. It is at hand, meaning it's close. But we see that by the time you get to the book of Colossians, you see that the kingdom is here because it says we've been, we have been, tra uh, uh, the word leaving my mind here, translated into the kingdom of his dear son in Colossians chapter 1, verse 12. So the kingdom was here when Paul was preaching. It wasn't here when John and Jesus were preaching. Peter said in Acts chapter 2 that the resurrection of Christ was the seating of Christ on David's throne. He ascended to the heavens and he was seated on the right hand of God. This is, he quotes the prophet about, the, about David ascending to the throne and Jesus being a descendant of David. And he says this, he ties this event in Acts chapter 2 verse 16 into the resurrection of Christ. So the fulfillment of the coming of the kingdom was at the resurrection of Christ and then the preaching of the gospel in Acts chapter 2 and the church being formed at that point. All well, that went before that was the kingdom being preached as being at hand right here. 
Let me tell you about this kingdom. Let me give you some things that will get you into this kingdom and get you ready for that. That's okay, let, let, me try, let me try do. something else on you here, Mike. All right. For anybody who has built their own home in Florida or some other states, I don't know all the laws, but if you build your own home, you become the contractor. At some point in the building of that home, you can get from the state what is called a certificate of occupancy, which means the home is not complete. You're not finished, but you can go live in it. And I think this is, this is a fair analogy of what is happening during that period when Jesus and John are teaching and even afterwards because the only time the phrase is used that the kingdom has come is in the book of Revelation and some specific events are given for that. So basically, can we be translated into the kingdom? Sure we can, at just as he says in, in some of the New Testament books. And also in Luke 16 when he says, The law and the prophets were until John. Since that time the kingdom of God has been preached and everyone is pressing into it. Uh, you could occupy the kingdom of heaven. But was it complete, or was it complete in the form that God had planned well, for it to be? complete until the final judgment in any in, event. In any event, it's until it's delivered back up. But it's, it's, it's not tied to one particular instant in time to say that it existed before that and it didn't exist after that. Well, or, okay, let, let me just read Acts 2 then. Well, you can okay. judge from that. P- Peter, Peter says, after the resurrection of Christ here and Christ ascending back to heaven... Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that the fruit of his body, according to his flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. Throne is a kingdom. Okay. He, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. And therefore being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured forth this which you now see. Well, what is the promise of the Holy Spirit? The promise of the Holy Spirit was that he would sit, that he would sit his descendant on his throne in his kingdom. So this, at the very minimum you could say about Acts 2 at the resurrection, Peter says that that's a fulfillment of the prophecy to reestablish David's kingdom which is obviously, Jesus says, it's not an earthly kingdom. He said that to Pilate in Acts before he was even crucified. But, so, now, is that the final kingdom? No, because in the book of 1 Timothy, we see Peter, Paul referring to the eternal kingdom, which is future yet to come. And so, you have this growth of the idea of a kingdom. The kingdom that our listeners should be most interested in, though, Gary, in my opinion, is this kingdom of Jesus Christ that we are translated the throne in, of David that we're living in now in that the we're translated century, into that we're translated into that's the kingdom I want them to be focused on we don't know hardly anything about the eternal kingdoms coming at the, at the second coming we don't need to worry about the kingdom of, to the, that God gave to David a, a, under the in, in a physical way under the law of Moses and so forth but the kingdom is, of Jesus Christ is the one and that's the one referred to in uh, in the book of Revelation also and he even says that... that uh, yeah, that's the only time the phrase, the kingdom has come, when you see these things. Basically, that's the only time that that phrase is well, used. Taking your interpretation of the verse of the book of Revelation, that would mean that the final the final thing was the destruction of the Jewish economy of things. As far as the, as far as the church as we see it today yeah. would be, yes, I would say that. Um, but basically, we... 
Paul says we're translated into his kingdom, I, the, the certificate of occupancy came upon, basically upon Jesus beginning to teach. Uh, and John, it appears to me from what he says in Luke 16, 16, that people were pressing into the kingdom. He, he was yeah. he was preaching the kingdom of God, and they were being pressed into it. Yes, but but they that that was something that doesn't mean that that's the that's the final right. Uh, that, that's thing what that's I'm saying. That doesn't all. mean it's the final thing. That's that's not what and I'm you, saying. You're not going to you're not going to get into Christ's kingdom today the same way those Jews did right, by being right, baptized into the right. baptism of John the Baptist. See, it, we we could happen. we could go on and speculate about. Uh, you know what about Jews who hadn't who lived? Let's let's say they're Jews. We knew that at the time there were Jews living in Spain. Let's suppose they hadn't heard of John's teaching or Jesus' teaching, and they died as a Jew at that time. Where would the where would their souls be? Well, if they kept the law, that's that was what God required of them. Right. So so I'm saying that this this transitional period spawns questions. That while they're good questions for us to kind of understand how God works, it's it's not something that's really meaningful to us today and what we should do in our lives. Well, well not, yes, and the concern I have is that people say, well, um, that we can be saved like they were before Christ died on the cross. Yeah. You can't. Now, well, the, well, I would like to make some comments about the thief on the cross. Okay, well, hang on. Let me do this first, Gary. Okay. You hold on to that because it, it, this bears on what, you know, I mentioned that uh, we're talking about John the Baptist. John uh, texted in and said Matthew 11:2 shows that John was unsure of who Jesus was, and and that's fair. John 11:2 is when John is in prison, and Christ is doing some of his miracles. He sent two of his disciples, said to him, "Are you are you the coming one, or do we look for another?" He said, "Well, go and tell John what you see in here." Yes, John. John after he was thrown in prison, things weren't at all going like John thought they were going to go. Yeah. This is not how things were supposed to be. And so he he uh, was wondering, and so he, he sent his disciples, and that's when Jesus said he's the greatest man that's ever been born of a woman, John the Baptist, and so forth. Don't say anything bad about John the Baptist. So, yes, but I don't think that these two were in some kind of competition. John was still trying to find, make sure that he had the right Messiah picked, picked out here, but he already pointed him out under the power of the Holy Spirit. So, um, in any event... That's a fa- that's a fair point. We'll, go, we'll leave with that. Go ahead. Well, what I would say about the thief on the cross is a lot of people say, well, look, he didn't have to be baptized. Well, I had been taught early on in my Christianity that he didn't have to be baptized because he lived under the law of Moses. Well, that may be true, but there's a much simpler explanation, and I think that's the one that we should really look to. Jesus had the power on earth to forgive sins. Yeah, they, they, it goes together with that one. He could if, forgive anybody he wanted to. He could forgive anybody he wanted to at any time. And if Jesus w- were on earth in the fleshly body today and came to you and said, your sins are forgiven, don't worry about anything they else. They would be forgiven. They would be forgiven. Right. So that's how... The that's, the one. That's, but, a, that's the simplest one. That's the simplest one. But the biggest one to understand for people today is that the thief on the cross was like any other Jew. wasn't living under the law of Christ. He, he had was, any, no, the message of, being, of repentant and baptism in Christ's name for the remission of sins that Peter preached. Right. And that G- and Jesus even said, you know, go and preach this gospel to every creature. He knew yeah. he was going to die very shortly. So uh, people are, are trying to figure out if they want to be saved just like the thief was. Like you say, the thief was saved because Christ personally forgave his sins in his presence. I don't exactly. think you got that kind of luxury waiting right. for you to have Christ forgive your sin in his presence. 
that that was my thought that's basically every time i read about the thief i realize jesus had the power to do that right at that time he did any time exactly. he wanted to mm -hmm. that's exactly right all right well we got far afield from the question a little bit but i think all that's an important thing to understand that what what john was preaching was a message in a precursory way introductory way uh, a, a repentance of people turning back to God, away from Jewish traditionalism, away from their own lives, turning back to God, and he baptized them to cleanse them before Jesus came. So when, when you say, do you believe that those who were baptized with the baptism of John had to be baptized again after the death of Christ? Well, the answer to that is, in certain circumstances, yes. It would be hard to, I mean, I don't have a scripture for this. Well, I said it under very, certain circumstances yes. and knowledge, it would be yes. Yeah, because of Acts 19. Right. Uh, you would also have to understand that when Peter stood up there with the apostles, other apostles in Acts chapter 2 in Jerusalem, and the whole place was filled with thousands and thousands of Jews who had come there. You mean to tell me when they baptized that 3,000 that day, or when they told all of them to be baptized, that there were, they didn't say, well, unless you've been baptized by John already, you're good to go. Yeah. They didn't say that at all on that day. And wherever you don't find the disciples saying that anywhere they went. They never tried to distinguish in their call, call and plea for people to be baptized for the mission of their sins, those who had been baptized by John and those who hadn't. So it's pretty unlikely, very, very unlikely, that the Jews on that day that heard Peter speak, even if they weren't baptized, were none of them had been baptized by John, in fact, the, the fact that they were baptized that day to a lot of them tends to make you think that they, many of them had heard John speak and did understand that the Messiah was coming. So uh, any event, that's another thing. And, but as we said, you need to do what Christ tells us to do in our age, which is repent, turn away from sins, and be baptized for the remission of your sins and, and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, as Peter said. And baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, Son and the Holy, Holy Spirit. Spirit. As not, the, in the, not in the name of John. Not in the name of John. Not in the name of John. So that's what you need to do if you're listening to us. And, and you need to do that in sincerity. And, and if you were baptized as an infant, as a Catholic or someplace else, that doesn't cover you. You can say, well, I was baptized. But you weren't baptized according to what the Bible says baptized. Because the word baptized means dipped or buried. And you, weren't, it, it, you yourself weren't a believer. You had not repented of your sins. You didn't even have any sins to repent of, much less be baptized for the remission of those sins. You couldn't confess his name before men, as the eunuch did in Acts chapter 8. And in Romans you 10, you couldn't believe that he was, he was died, buried, and resurrected, which is part of the confession. Of and, then, and then also you got the problem of so many people out there today who believe the the uh, Reformation message, not the biblical message, but the Refor Reformation message that that belief itself is sufficient for salvation. Yes. And and so those people have been have believed and think that they've been saved without being baptized, or they they didn't they weren't baptized for the remission of their sins. The well, baptism has to be done for the remission of sins, not after the remission of sins. Two different uh, prepositions, yeah. as it were. As Paul is told in Acts 22 and 16, Why tarriest thou, arise and be baptized, and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. That's how you call on the name of the Lord. Yes. Not with the sinner's prayer, 
Right. You call on the name of the Lord by submitting to his will that's how, and that's being how you're baptized. making your appeal to him. That that's exactly well, that, that's the message that's missed in my view. I'm sure that I've said this a hundred times. I'm sure you've heard it, Gary, maybe I said it on the air or not. The Protestant message, the message of most churches today is uh, well, let's quote Jesus' message. He that believeth and is baptized shall be, be saved. saved. What the Protestant message is, he that believeth shall be saved and then can be baptized. Now, you can't convince, I'm going to be very, diff, it's going to be difficult for you to convince me that those two things are the same. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. That's the key word there, and. Not he that believeth shall be saved and then you can be baptized. You get the order of the words all wrong. Now, I'm quoting Jesus there. Not not someone that you could dismiss easily uh, from your thinking. So just take the simple words of Jesus there, and okay. and take the voice of history, and you'll see that the Protestant baptism that occurs after salvation, because they're afraid of somehow doing a work, and all of that teaching was done by Martin Luther and even John Calvin in response to the Catholic Church teaching that salvation is done can be had by doing works of men. Well, that's it, not what the Bible says. That well, bap- just, it doesn't put baptism as well, a well. Let me just let me just read what Peter says in First Peter three and beginning about verse twenty. He said, "When once the divine long suffering waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight souls, were saved through water, there is also an antitype which now saves us: baptism." He says, "Baptism saves you." Right. Okay. Not the removal of the filth of flesh, but the answer of good conscience towards God. In other words, you obeyed what God said and submitted yourself to him. That's the answer of the good conscience. Colossians 2.12 says this, Gary. It compares baptism to circumcision given to the Jews, to send all the descendants of Abraham, actually, as a sign of their salvation, as it were, or the means of salvation. Uh, he says... In whom you are all, verse 2, Colossians 2.11, in whom you were circumcised with a circumcision made with hands in putting off of the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, wherein you also have risen with him through faith in the working of God or the operation of God who raised him from the dead. So here he says that circumcision cuts off some of the flesh, as it were, the body of the flesh, in a symbolic way that uh, indicates a putting away of the fleshly mind, whereas baptism cuts off the flesh in another symbolic way. And he says we're buried with him in baptism, and then we've been risen with him through what? Through the working of God. The idea that baptism for remission of sins is a work of man is not a biblical idea. Baptism for the remission of sins is a work of God, okay? And so we need to understand that and, fig- and see uh, what, uh, what God says about this whole thing. And, and he doesn't say that baptism is a work of man. I mean, uh, and we should forget that baptism. That's not what he says at all. So in any event, that's... Um, well, we where we can leave. We can go to about 20 other passages, but I don't oh, want to be yeah, to that. I, mean, I just want people to think about that. Because I, a lot of very good, sincere people, well, let take my own father while I was baptized when I was an infant. 
And he thought he'd been baptized. When I would preach and tell him, you need to be baptized, he thought, well, I have because I was baptized as an infant. But he wasn't baptized in the way the Bible says. He, he couldn't believe. He came to understand later that he had to do the believing. He had to do the repenting. He had to do the confessing. He had to do the submission to being he, buried with right. Christ to become a Christian, not right. a child. His parents couldn't do it for him. Titus 3.5 is one of those. Uh, basically, John... Uh, Ephesians 5:26, the one we talked about, cleansing her with the washing of the water by the word. Uh, there's another one in, uh, I think, uh, you know, they're all through the New Testament. It, to, to, and I haven't even dealt with John 3 when he says, I think he says, well, unless you are born of the water and the spirit, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. I think that's okay. another reference to it. Okay, yes. By the way, it's, uh, it says on my screen here that Ken is all, is still on the line. I forgot about you, Ken. Are you still there? I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Ken. I thought that you had left. Go ahead and finish up what you're saying. We got about three minutes left here. Well. At the risk of offending a lot of uh, Jewish people or whatever, I, I believe I am a Jew, yes, because of, of this scripture you're quoting right here. When you are in Christ, as a faithful believer in Christ, you're, uh, I, I've, I have had that circumcision of the heart, it says. He is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart. I just read of that, that there in uh, Because I am Colossians now two. an heir according to promise to Abraham. Right. So... True Christians today are the true Israel of God. I can't finish up. we got about a minute or so here. Yes. Yeah, if they accept Christ. They've got to be grafted back in, though. If they haven't accepted Christ, they don't ha they're not in. The implication of that is all those who rejected Christ rejected their 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 access to the root of the tree. The real heirs according to the promises made to Abraham are those who are in Christ. That's what Paul says. Yeah. Right. And and that and this passage indicates that the true circumcision is now of the heart. And it doesn't matter whether they're Jew or Greek or whether they're slave or free or whether they're male or female or whether they're rich or poor. Yes. And that's why I'm urging you to consider what the Bible says about baptism instead of rejecting it. Because he links in Colossians two this baptism to being circumcised, and, and, and that's how you become part of Israel, the true Israel of God, the ones who are praised, Judah, as it were. So anyway, that's the, I appreciate your calling, Ken, and I apologize for not realizing you're still on the line and had something else to say. Um, we appreciate that very much. Well, I'm, I'm going to make one more comment, Mike, and then I'm going to shut then up have for to the show. we close out the show anyway. Yeah, you're right. Uh, one of the questions was um, basically, would like to hear how about how we recognize the church or finding the church. Well, we just spent a whole show talking about the characteristics of the church. Yes. If, if, if what's in the scripture is not taught where you're going, then you need to go somewhere else and find the place that does. That's exactly right. Well, we appreciate you uh, being with us today for the show. Well, we thank you so much for those who participated by text message and on telephone. We're very grateful for you. Hope others will join in soon to the show. 
and we want to invite you to take a look at our website, which is wearejustchristians.com. Wearejustchristians.com. Take a look there. You can find podcasts of this show. And we'd also like to invite you to come and worship with us. We meet at 2196 Southwest Savona Boulevard, 2196 Southwest Savona Boulevard here in Port St. Lucie, the corner of California and Savona. We're on the uh, southwest corner there. And you'll find just a group of Christians trying to worship according to God's will. And you'll find yourself a warm welcome if you come. Thank you so much for listening. May God bless you. We couldn't see any change at all in what was going on, but because uh, we oh, had a good connection okay. a few minutes ago. We've lost the echo. That's all I can say. Yeah. Any uh, In any event, uh, we're not sure. We're not sure. So I guess I'm going to have to go on. I, I don't know how to be. A, it can't be an engineer and talk at the same time. Guys <laughs> like Ray at the radio station can do that. I can only partially do that. I can give I could give Gary instructions how to get up on a chair and, and grab the, the uh, feed for the for the wired internet and that's one of the problems using a, wi a, a wireless system here like we're doing right now 99 percent of the time it works real well and then other times it just doesn't work well at all sometimes this morning it and was different and we couldn't figure out why it was different yeah something was different but put everything back in the box the suitcase we keep it in it's all padded put everything away when we get done with the program open it back up the next week and some little gremlins have been in there turning knobs and changing things i don't know how it happens that way but sometimes it does. Well, anyway, we'll, we'll continue on this morning. And if you want to text us, if you can hear us, you can do that. The number is 772-260-6120. We'll give you that number to start with. That's just a text number. If you can't hear us, as they say, call us. <laughs> <laughs> let us know if you can't hear us. In any event, let me give you the numbers to reach us here on We Are Just Christian. It's a live call-in show. And uh, the number to reach us is 772-260. 340 1590. 772 340 1590 is the, is the number to reach us. Uh, Ray will, at the station there will take your call. He'll let us know about that. We'll get you on the air as soon as we possibly can. And we'll have a conversation, if possible, with you about that. Uh, some people like to ask their question, hang up. Other people want to talk. And we, if you want to talk to us, here's the ground rules. We'd like to have a conversation with you. We're going to listen to your question, try to give you an answer, maybe try to get some clarification back and forth. And it may end up that we agree about, you know, what we're going to say, what's being said. We may agree about the issue or it may be that we disagree. In either event, we're going to give you the last word. We're not going to try to take advantage of you or embarrass you in some way. Uh, no shouting matches, anything like that. And I guess you can shout at us. We're not going to shout back. But the point is to learn something and have a conversation. Of course, we may not agree, but we can certainly both look at what the scriptures say and then try to make up our mind and, and change what we're doing if we need to. So in any event, uh, that's the way the show works, and uh, we'd be glad to talk with you. If you want to stay on and ask several questions, that's okay, too. We do that. So 772-340-1590. Now, there's a couple other ways to get a hold of us. One way is, is uh, by email, which is at, at justchristians at att.net justchristians at att.net is the email address 
We can't check email really well during the show, but we'll get your email today or this week or whenever you send it, and we'll can, we can respond to that either on air or just off air. <clears throat> Another way that a lot of people like to get a hold of us is by text message, which is there's two numbers for that. I have a text, I have a, a cell with my text number on it, and Gary has the same thing. You can text either one of us, and I'll share that with Gary if you text me. 772-260-6120, 772-260-6120. And then Gary's text number is 772-260-6220 is Gary's text number. So you can reach us today during the show, anytime during the week. Uh, we'll be glad to, to take your text message. In fact, we, we really are in the middle of answering uh, I think about three questions we got by text right. message a couple of weeks ago, Gary, a week before last, um, by text message. And, and so we're going to continue that and, unless some, unless one of you wants to change the subject. If you want to change the subject, feel free to call in and change the subject. We give our callers precedence over all the other ways of communicating with us. If you want to call in, uh, text, I mean, uh, call in the radio station. We'll be glad to talk with you. But uh, we always come prepared to talk about something, and so we're going to continue to discuss a couple of these questions that came from a, a, from a listener in Georgia uh, about a couple of Bible topics. And so w- without being completely repetitive, Gary, about these things, let me read the questions. And we, we talked about at least one of these uh, and partially another one last week, but you, I think you told me a minute ago you think we need to summarize. Yeah, I need, we need to summarize right. the first one, I think. There are differences, but there are definite differences between John's baptism and baptism that Jesus commanded in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All right. Well, let me read the the, fir- the first question was in Luke three three and Mark one four. John the baptizer, Baptist, preaches baptism for the remission of sins prior to the death of Christ. How do you think this can be, since Christ had not yet made that that physical sacrifice? So I, I think part of the understanding that this listener has, which is correct, is that baptism is not just a ritual that you go to. It's intricately tied to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. According to Paul in Romans 6, like 3 through 6, he says, <laughs> We are buried with Christ in baptism, that we might be raised to walk in newness of life, that we might be raised up like he was. So it's tied to his death, burial, and resurrection. And yet, and we find in Acts chapter 2, and, and where Peter preaches baptism for the remission of sins in the name of Jesus Christ. Uh, Jesus says, Mark 16, 16, repent and be baptized for the remission of your sins. And so we see that um, these things are connected up to one another, and they're connected, not as just a ritual that you go through or something you do to a baby, but something the believer does in response to Jesus Christ. And, and belief in him. So the question is, how could John be preaching baptism for the remission of sins before Jesus came? Well, there's a couple of a- answers to that. Um, where were you wanting to go, Gary? So we gave a lengthy well, answer last week. Where do you want to go to summarize this? Basically, they are both baptisms of repentance for the remission of sins, but there seems to be some knowledge that went with the baptism that Jesus, Jesus commanded in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. I'm, I'm just going to start reading at 19. He says, therefore, go and make a disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, 
teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. Basically, they were taught some things, and some of the things that he says there in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit involved knowledge that apparently was not part of John's baptism. Yes. And, and the reason... Well, it couldn't have been. Well, not part of John, because something had something, changed. Something had changed. Right. His death, burial, and resurrection had changed things between John's baptism and the time that Jesus gave this command to his disciples. I, I believe this is just before he ascended back into heaven in Matthew 28. Right. Uh, there, there's also a difference in this, Gary. I didn't even mention this last week. Interrupt you just a little bit. It says that, that they came out to John the Baptist in Luke 3, 6, and, they were, he, and, and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. The confession that we make, according to Romans 10, 10, when we're baptized into Christ, is not a confession of our sins, but a confession. We repent of our sins. We confess that Jesus Christ is, is Lord, is the Son of God. That's the confession that the eunuch made in Acts chapter 8, verse 36. When he, when he was being taught about Jesus, he comes, they come to water and says, what, here's water, what hinders me from being baptized? And Philip said to him, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And the eunuch said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son, the Son of God. That's so why he went down to the water and baptized. They both went down to the water and he baptized him. So the, the, the repentance, I mean, the confession that you make when you're baptized into Christ is uh, one of belief that he's the Son of God. You repent of your sins, and in that sense, you confess your sins or say, yes, this is what I... A confession is saying what it, saying the same thing, literally in Greek, or saying what's real. So you lied, and you say, yes, I lied. You know, you confess it or bring your knowledge and everybody else's knowledge to the fact of what's true. Right. That's a confession. And, and it helps us answer the, the subsequent questions when we understand the differences and I think what what the things were when we come up to whether... I, I think one of the subsequent questions was, uh, did all of those who uh, were baptized by John have to be baptized again after yes, the death I, of Christ? Yes, I think Christ? that's a, another, that's question number. That's question. Yeah, do, that's, do you believe that those who were baptized with the baptism of John had to be baptized again after the death of Christ? Now, there we went to Acts chapter 18, 18 and showed that some who were baptized only with the baptism of John didn't right. know about Jesus per se, uh, Paul baptized them again, or baptized them in the name of Jesus Christ at that point right. in time, in Acts chapter 18. Now, we don't have records of a lot of individuals doing this, but apparently that's what they did. We well, don't even have records of the apostles being baptized again. Well, it might help to read Acts chapter 9. It's actually chapter eight, 19. Is it 19? Yes, I, yes. I thought it was uh, Beginning uh, around verse 1, it says, And it happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus. And finding disciples, he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And so they said to him, we have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, into what were you baptized? Now, just going that far, Paul expected them to know some information about the Holy Spirit having been baptized. And they didn't. They were only baptized into John's baptism. And this this indicated to him that there was missing knowledge. That's why I say that there was there was knowledge about Jesus, uh, the Father, the Son. Yeah, it's and the not Holy a ritual. It takes knowledge to actually to, obey Christ in right, this matter. Right to obey Him, and he goes on. Basically, then Paul said, "John indeed baptized with the baptism of repentance, which is the same as what he was Jesus did, 
saying to the people that they should believe on him who should come after him, that is, Christ Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord. Basically, so he baptized them by the authority of Jesus. So I, my, my conclusion is there's knowledge and authority associated. And when that knowledge and authority is absent, yes, you need to be baptized in the authority of Jesus. Right. And we can maybe apply that perhaps in just a minute. Something else. Here, I'll throw a monkey wrench in here, Gary. Because <laughs> I'm thinking about this week, I, I thought of another passage that, and reread it, and it is interesting. In uh, John 4, here's Jesus toward the beginning of his ministry, although John is not necessarily chronological, but it's fairly, it's not like at the last thing he does. It says that, therefore, John 4, 1, therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize, but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. So, it just mentions, and, and the real story here is when he came to the Samaritan woman at the well, right. which is what most people focus on in John 4. But this little statement that, that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus himself was making disciples and baptizing them before his own death. So it isn't just John's, bap, John's uh, making mm-hmm. disciples or baptizing people. Jesus himself was, although it says he himself did not baptize. Here's two uses of the word baptize. One is one of them is the actual do the dipping. And the, the other, other is, is to make someone, the other have is someone to make believe. someone believe to become baptized. Or, or, or really, here it's who you're baptized, whose name you're baptized into, as it were. So, Jesus himself was baptizing disciples to himself. And yet, at the end of his life, as you just read, he tells them to tell everybody to be baptized in the name remission of, of sins in his name. That seems to be something different. And there's no way a person could be baptized into the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, like Paul talks about, until after the death, burial, and resurrection had taken place. Yes. So this is another case. Baptism itself, I think, indicated a couple of things. It did indicate a death or a submission to someone, a submission because you're, giving, you're dying, as it were. It also had some element of cleansing in it. To the Jews at that time, baptism had an element of cleansing, although it wasn't commanded in the Old Testament, they would often baptize these proselytes to cleanse them, as it were. So there's an element of cleansing in baptism, an element of of discipleship in baptism. Jesus specifically then applies this as to how to become a true disciple of his after his death, burial, and resurrection. Now, although it doesn't say this, we have some indication that people who were baptized earlier, you know, um, than this, were baptized again. Now, here's the thing. I'm, I'm curious. This isn't directed at the person who asked this question, but in reality, these questions don't have a whole lot to do with us because we, we no, don't, no we, one that don't, I no one that I know of is baptizing in John's baptism today. Right. Only th- we are all on the other side of the cross, and so the commandments of Jesus Christ in Matthew 28 and Mark 16:16 16, 16, and his apostles. In Acts 2, all through the book of Acts, and then Paul's teaching about baptism in Colossians uh, 3, or Colossians 2, and also in, uh, uh, you just mentioned it, uh, uh, Romans 6, and also 1 Peter 3. All these passages tell us that if you want to become a disciple of Jesus Christ, you are baptized for the mission of sins into his name or by his authority. That's right. how people become disciples of Christ today based on their belief and repentance and confession of him as Lord 
They're baptized into his name. That, that's how it happens today. And, and so this is merely almost somewhat of a theoretical question, except that. Oh, I interrupted you. Here, you were going to say well, something. I was going to say, except that there is some knowledge that appears to be necessary uh, to understand that baptism and what you're doing. That well, yes, that, that's, a, that's an incumbent on the belief right. and the repentance and the confession. All those three things uh, require a lot of knowledge. And so, therefore, you, you have to have that knowledge. And that's why you can't baptize babies. You can't be baptized in somebody for somebody else, as the Mormons do, or anything like that. It requires you submitting to Christ, believing in him, confessing his name, turning away from your old life, and then being willing to be buried in water and raised up to be a new creature. And so that's what's required. Now, what the reason some people bring this up, though, and I don't think this is the... I don't think this is the reason why uh, the lady who texted this this question. I don't think she believes this from reading what she said here. Uh, people have tr been trying to figure out a way, Gary, for a long time to make sh to make it so that the baptism of Jesus Christ for remission of sins is not something that's necessary. And so they want to try to go to John's baptism and say, well, you know, John baptized too, and and so they're trying to diminish the responsibility of people today to be baptized for remission of sins in the name of Jesus Christ. They want to make it a secondary commandment, something that happens after you're saved. And so they're they just continually, like they go to the thief on the cross to talk about what you're supposed to do, you know, now that the church has come and Jesus established his kingdom. They want to go back to the thief on the cross to talk about salvation. John, going back to John the Baptist baptism and just making a parallel here really wasn't necessary. Uh, I think sometimes people use the, this information that way. That's simply a misuse of the information. Now, we have a caller on the line. Hold on to what you're thinking there, Gary. Let's, okay. let's take a call. Are you there, Ken? Yeah, Mike. How you doing? Good. Uh, speak up a little bit. Okay. Is that better? I can That's hear you better. better now, yes. Okay. Uh, I, I called in and brought you, and I mentioned about... Uh, Jewish wedding customs? Oh, yes. Uh -huh. yeah. And how uh, both the uh, bride and the bridegroom had to be, be uh, in a sense, baptized. They call it a mikvah in, in, in Jew, Jewish, in Hebrew. Okay. Um, so it was part of the marriage ceremony. So... Uh, now, of course, that's not a custom. That's not something that's found in law. Moses, that was a custom of the Jews at the time of Christ, correct? Yeah. And and your your application of that would be? I can think of a couple. Okay. So Jesus is the bridegroom of the church, and we are the bride. And Jesus was fulfilling the law. When he, was, he went to John and said, I, you have to baptize me. He was fulfilling the law when he did what? It broke up a little bit. When he, when he went to John and told John, I need to be baptized by you, he was fulfilling the law of, of, of the uh, Mary ceremony. Okay, so... I would say he was fulfilling, I would have said, I thought, I think he's fulfilling the command of God's prophet, John, 
to be baptized for repentance. And you're saying what he was doing is also, at least, fulfilling what what his role would be as a bridegroom later on, or is as the bride of the of, of the church, a bridegroom of the church. So the, they would have recognized that at that time as a bride being cleansed before his wedding. Or a bridegroom. A, bri- a bride, bridegroom. And that's why John couldn't figure out why he wanted to be baptized. Right. Okay. And then, and then, of course, the bride being washed, we ha- we find that metaphor in Ephesians chapter five, that it's that we're it's by the washing of regeneration. Well, actually, in, in Jude, uh, not Jude, my brain is washing of regeneration. Titus three, and in Ephesians five, about the washing of regeneration of the bride at the at a wedding, as it were. So now, that's a parallel that the Jews of that time would have understood. We don't have any customs like that in our society, so it kind of gets lost in the in in the transfer from one culture to another to some degree. Okay, now uh, that, that's also in Ephesians five twenty six. Yeah, I that's the verse I'm thinking of. Yes, he, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. That's speaking of the bride of Christ. Right. Yeah. And then that he might present her. To to himself a glorious church, making sure that it's referring to the church, not having a spot or wrinkle or any such thing. Yes. So there is there is a cleansing of the bride, and that that occurs at I believe at ba- at the baptism of the people who are of the ones who are the bride of Christ, the church, and then there's the cleansing of the bridegroom, which occurred when he was baptized of John in the wilderness. Go ahead, Ken. I think you have more to say about this. I think. Yeah. Now, when when the bridegroom goes to his father's house to prepare a place for his bride, and then he comes again and sees her, and takes her to his father's house, she becomes part of his father's family, and is like we could say, adopted into his family. Now, read Ephesians, uh, I'm sorry, Philippians, I think it's 1.5. Okay, let me look that up. By the way, and that, just so our listeners understand this, if I'm getting the point that you're making, this the custom then of um, the way the Jews did this, where the groom leaves his father's house with his groomsmen and comes and gets the bride with a, and, a, and a procession leads her back to the place of the wedding and then takes her to his father's house. This is the parallel of Christ coming to receive his bride and then taking his bride to his father's house after this final judgment, right? Correct. Now, you mentioned Ephesians, I mean, as you say Philippians 1, 5? I think it's Philippians one five. I'm looking it up to see if I get that right. Doesn't. No, that doesn't. That fit. doesn't comport. Let me. Uh, uh, what's the verse? You're, what's the reference? What's the thought of the reference you're looking for? It, it talks about um, uh, being um, coming part of God's family through Christ's baptism. Well, Paul says in Galatians, you are heirs according to the promise. 
uh, that would make them heirs being part of the family. Is that the one you're thinking of? Are you of? thinking Ephesians 531? Uh, someone just texted in. I'm not sure that that's, e that's it either. Uh, no, I, that's I texted the reference to you earlier this week. I'm sorry. I couldn't catch that. It's what? Paul says in, in Ephesians 5, 30, we are members of his body, of his flesh and his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. I think that, that may say somewhat like the same thing, but it's really, um, I think you were talking about being members of, of um, adopt. I mean, I, I can look up the verses on adoption and so forth. I don't know if that's the ones you're talking about or not. Of course, Paul is quoting, as John texted in Genesis 2.24, when he, yeah, when he refers here to that. Sorry, Ephesians 1.5. What's that? Ephesians 1.5. Ephesians 1.5. Yes, right, well, let, let me go look here. Maybe I, maybe I just didn't see what you're going to talk about, so. Let me look it back up. I've moved away from there. One five. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I got. I got it now. Not not. Um, not Philippians. He's, he has predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will. And um, there's there are quite a few references to uh, ad adoption in the New Testament. Well, there's also Galatians 3 and verse 29. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to promise. Basically, he's, he's uh, if you are Christ, you are part of that, that family and heirs according to the promise. Therefore, if you're an heir, you've been adopted into that family. Yes. Basically. And, and you have, um, well, he says he, in Galatians 4, uh, he came to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons in Ephesians uh, 1 5 you have them that have it and there's places in Hebrews and Romans several places that we were we were adopted as part of God's family. now the interesting thing Ken and someone else brought this up, I think John texted this in it's odd that the man leaves the, his father's house rather than to bring the bride back home so in Ephesians 2 24 I mean, excuse me, in Genesis 2.24 and Ephesians 5, where he quotes this passage, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. And then you have this analogy of the bride bringing the bride, I mean, the bridegroom bringing the bride back to his father's house. Now, my answer to that would be that Genesis reflected the cultural, the, the culture of that time the time of Moses and before, where generally speaking, um, and you can read about this in some of these archaeology and cult, ancient culture books, that apparently many of these cultures in that part of the world had the idea that that uh, the bride did not leave her family, but the husband joined the uh, wife's family. And yet you see in the life, of, and yet countercultural to that, you see Abraham's family went and got the brides and brought them back because they were idolatrous. They went and got the bride and brought it back to the, to the male's side of the family. And 
the analogy of the New Testament seems to draw on a bigger picture of Christ coming to receive his bride, the church, and taking the bride back to his father's house, like Ken, like Ken is saying. What else you want to add about this, Ken? Okay, uh, you, you know what the you know what the huppa is? Uh, well, remind me because I'm not sure. That's the canopy that they. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, okay, the canopy. I was yeah, trying to say. Okay. Oh, in a Jewish wedding, the bride and groom stand underneath the canopy. Right, and and it's interesting that sometimes it's just the bride and the groom under the canopy. Sometimes it's him and her and his parents, and sometimes it's him and her and both their parents. Hmm. What, well, what's the difference? Just however they want to do it? Well, being under the canopy represents uh, the uh, new house. Being in the new house. So they would be bringing both pa parents in. Of course, I always tell young couples that when you marry somebody, you're marrying their family. You better pay attention to that and understand that clearly. You're marrying their family. Sometimes that's problematic. Other times it's, it's a blessing. But... You definitely are, and, and of course, in in this case, in the case of this parallel with Christ, when you accept when you accept Jesus, you're accepting His Father, and you're part of the household of household of God. It says in the later in the New Testament, we're all part of the household of God, and so um, there's this there's that analogy. Then come into a new house, a great house, household of God. He is the son of the house, the heir. We are co-heirs with Christ in the house of God. We're joint heirs with Christ, the Bible says, with him. So we receive all the blessings of the father, the same as, the, same as his son, even though we're not actually sons in the same way that Christ is. We become children of God or sons of God, and we receive all the blessings in Christ. So there's this great parallel with marriage. Well, Jesus says in John, I think it's John 12, 44, Jesus cried out and said, he who believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me, referring to the Father. Yes, there's this connection. Yeah. Now, Ken, did you want to connect this up with our question about the baptism of John the Baptist, or were you make, just making a point about um, washing and baptism in general? You're not baptized, you're not in his family. Right, because you haven't been washed and brought in, yes. And the bride and groom had to be... The bride had to be washed for it could be she could be married and brought into the family. That's right. In a ceremonial way, as it were. What's that? With the scripture about being grafted into the olive tree. Yeah. Romans nine. Yeah. I believe that's I believe it's Romans nine or it's Romans eleven. Now you're making me doubt. Uh, I don't know. I, I I've forgotten myself. Yeah. I, I like. I forgot most things too. Let me see if I can find it here. <laughs> oh, I want to say it's chapter nine. I don't know why I can't um, for, be, be sure about that uh, in my head. Well, the things we're talking about, Mike, is one of the reasons that we need to understand the symbolism that's in both the Old and New Testament. That the ideas are often presented in symbols or things that represent you know, the real thing. And, and it's not always described explicitly in that way. And that's why I study the symbols and understanding that 
these things may be symbolic or work at least in part like the things that they uh, that they're used as examples is is important to our understanding of both the Old and New Testament. Yes, it's in uh, the passage you're referring to is in Romans 11. Now, obviously, marriage and being made part of a family is a different a, a metaphor or figure of speech than being grafted in to the branch of a tree. But I think the out the uh, meaning of that or the out uh, the the, uh, the, the result the result of that is the same. As you said, you partake of this. So he said, talks about the Jew and Gentile, that if some of the branches were broken off, this is Romans 11, 17. If some of the branches were broken off and you, that is the Gentile, being a wild olive tree, were grafted in among them and with them became a partaker of the root and fatness of the olive tree, do not boast against the branches. But if you do boast, remember that you do not support the root, but the root supports you. So and we could go on talk about this analogy, but he's saying that you, when you are grafted into a tree, you you partake of the fatness and the goodness of the and the, of the root of the root of the tree, which would in this his analogy here is the Jews and God's God's children yeah. in the Old Testament. So uh, you Gentiles shouldn't boast against them, and so he's saying there that to become a part of Christ is to be grafted in to the root. Uh, of the tree, which is God and his and his family and righteousness, goodness. And it's also you become an heir according to the promises made to Abraham. Yeah. As, as, as Paul is saying, um, I keep coming back to the idea, though, how do we decide whether someone needs to be baptized again or not? If they were baptized in the baptism of John, say, after the death, burial and resurrection of Christ. And again, it keeps coming back to the knowledge of the individual who was baptized. There's certain knowledge that's implied that they should have and that it be done by the authority of Jesus. Yes. Th- those, those, once you answer those questions, then you, can, then you can determine whether or not someone needs to be baptized by the authority of Jesus. Um, I, I keep coming back, that's how we answer that question. Mm-hmm. And it, it wasn't necessary, I don't think, in all cases. We don't know explicitly what Jesus taught prior to his giving the commission to the disciples. You mentioned him making disciples and baptizing, but also in Luke 16, 16, Jesus said the law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God has been preached and everyone is pressing into it. So he was preaching the kingdom of God. Right. He just hadn't, the means of getting into the kingdom had not been spelled out as they are for us today that's That's right trying to get at this is a question that isn't as practical to us because jesus has told us in this day and age how we come into his kingdom how we come into his authority how we're saved how our sins are remitted and that's by faith repentance and baptism in his name so this is an academic question which enlightens us as to this process but uh john texts in and says i think jesus was initially a follower of john but had different ideas. When John was killed, Jesus, Jesus set out on his ministry. Matthew 11, 11 shows how much Jesus loved John, which is all about John being the greatest of the greatest of any man ever born, but also shows Jesus that Jesus had a different message. So Jesus had people baptized into his message. Well, I, I, don't, I don't disagree in some respects with this, but I do disagree that Jesus was initially a follower of John because John himself says that that wasn't the case. Right. Particularly John himself in, says, the ones coming after me is what I'm teaching you about, and he's greater than me. Follow him. Behold the Lamb of God. 
Yeah, that, that's so, clear from the first chapter so of the Gospel of John. So they weren't competing against each other. His disciples may have thought about that when they come to Jesus and say, you know, what's going to happen to John? And they may have thought that, but John didn't have any illusion about who he was or who yeah. Jesus was. And I don't think Jesus had any illusions about who he was or where no, his place I, was No, I don't either. think he was like, well, I, got, I guess I just got different ideas than my cousin, so I'll start my own ministry and baptize people into that. Uh, that that's not the process. I don't think the New Testament says that's the process that happened. That might be, you know, what some theologian says. So, but Jesus had in mind all along, uh, the, 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 this, part of the, this part of Bible history is about, uh, is a period of transition. We talked about that last week. Yes. But a transition from a time when, uh, as far as the Bible is concerned, when the Jews were uh, the focus of God's spiritual energy on the earth, even though he intended to save all men. And he was transitioning to this coming of the true kingdom of God in Christ. And so there's this overlap for some years here between these two, uh, these two ideas merging together. The outgrowth, the church, is the true thing that God had in mind all along. And salvation in Jesus Christ and coming into Christ through faith, repentance, and baptism is what God had all in mind all along. But he did some things, starting with the ministry of John the Baptist, to get people to repent and to confess their sins and be washed and, and turn away from that life, turn to God. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Doesn't mean the kingdom is here. It is at hand, meaning it's close. But we see that by the time you get to the book of Colossians, you see that the kingdom is here because it says we've been, we have been, tra uh, uh, the word leaving my mind here, translated into the kingdom of his dear son in Colossians chapter 1, verse 12. So yeah. the kingdom was here when Paul was preaching. It wasn't here when John and Jesus were preaching. Peter said in Acts chapter 2 that the resurrection of Christ was the seating of Christ on David's throne. He ascended to the heavens and he was seated on the right hand of God. This is, he quotes the prophet about, the, about David ascending to the throne and Jesus being a descendant of David. And he says this, he ties this event in Acts chapter 2, verse 16, into the resurrection of Christ. So the fulfillment of the coming of the kingdom was at the resurrection of Christ and in the preaching of the gospel in Acts chapter 2 and the church being formed at that point. All well, that went before that was the kingdom being preached as being at hand right here. Let me tell you about this kingdom. Let me give you some things that will get you into this kingdom, get you ready for that. Okay, let me, let me Jesus try. Let me try something else on you here, Mike. All right. For anybody who has built their own home in Florida or some other states, I don't know all the laws, but if you build your own home, you become a contractor. At some point in the building of that home, you can get from the state what is called a certificate of occupancy, which means the home is not complete. You're not finished, but you can go live in it. And I think this is this is a fair analogy of what is happening during that period when Jesus and John are teaching and even afterwards, because the only time the phrase is used that the kingdom has come is in the book of Revelation and some specific events are given for that. So basically, can we be translated into the kingdom? Sure, we can. At just as he says in, in some of the New Testament books and also in Luke 16, when he says, the law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God has been preached and everyone is pressing into it. Uh, you could occupy the kingdom of heaven, 
but was it complete or was it complete in the form that God had planned well, for it to be? It complete until the final judgment in any in, event. In any event, it's until it's delivered back up. But it's, it's, it's not tied to one particular instant in time to say that it existed before that and it didn't exist after. Well, okay, let, let me just read Acts 2 then. We'll, you can okay. judge from that. P- Peter, Peter says, after the resurrection of Christ here and Christ ascending back to heaven, men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David that he is both dead and buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that the fruit of his body, according to his flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. Throne is a kingdom. He, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. And therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured forth this which you now see. Well, what is the promise of the Holy Spirit? The promise of the Holy Spirit was that he would sit, that he would sit his descendant on his throne, in his kingdom. So this, at the very minimum you could say about Acts 2, at the resurrection, Peter says that that's a fulfillment of the prophecy to reestablish David's kingdom, which is obviously, Jesus says, it's not an earthly kingdom. He said that to Pilate in Acts before he was even crucified. But so now, is that the final kingdom? No, because in the book of 1 Timothy, we see Peter, Paul referring to the eternal kingdom, which is future yet to come. And so you have this growth of the idea of a kingdom. The kingdom that our listeners should be most interested in, though, Gary, in my opinion, is this kingdom of Jesus Christ that we are translated the throne into, of David that we're living in now. In that the we're translated century, into. We're translated into. That's the kingdom I want them to be focused on. We don't know hardly anything about the eternal kingdoms coming at, at the second coming. We don't need to worry about the kingdom of, to the, that God gave to David a, a, under the in, in a physical way under the law of Moses and so forth. But the kingdom is, of Jesus Christ is the one. And that's the one referred to in, uh, in the book of Revelation also. And, and he even says that... that uh, yeah, that's the only time the phrase, the kingdom has come, when you see these things. Basically, that's the only time that that phrase is well, used. Taking your interpretation of the verse of the book of Revelation, that would mean that the final, the final thing was the destruction of the Jewish economy of things. As far as, as, far as the church as we see it today would be, yes, I would say that. Um, but basically, we, Paul says we're translated into his kingdom. I, the, the certificate of occupancy came upon, basically, upon Jesus beginning to teach. Uh, and John, it appears to me from what he says in Luke sixteen sixteen that people were pressing into the kingdom. He, he was yeah. he was preaching the kingdom of God, and they were being pressed into it. Yes, but but they that that was something that doesn't mean that that's the that's the final right. Uh, that, that's thing what that's I'm saying. That doesn't all. mean it's the final thing. That's that's not what and I'm you're saying. Not gonna, you're not going to you're not going to get into Christ's kingdom today the same way those Jews did right, by being right, baptized into the right. baptism of John the Baptist. See, it, we we could happen. we could go on and speculate about uh, you know what about Jews who hadn't who lived let's let's say they're Jews. We knew that at the time there were Jews living in Spain. Let's suppose. They hadn't heard of John's teaching or Jesus' teaching, and they died as a Jew at that time. Where would the, where would their souls be? Well, if they kept the law, that's that was what God required of them. Right. So, so I'm saying that this this transitional period spawns questions 
that while they're good questions for us to kind of understand how God works, it's it's not something that's really meaningful to us today and what we should do in our lives. Well, what I, yes, and the concern I have is that people say, well, um, that we can be saved like they were before Christ died on the cross. Yeah. You can't. Now, well, the, well, I would like to make some comments about the thief on the cross. Because, okay, well, hang on. Let me do this first, Gary. Okay. You hold on to that because it, it, this bears on what? You know, I mentioned that uh, we're talking about John the Baptist. John uh, texted in and said Matthew 11, 2 shows that John was unsure of who Jesus was. And and that's fair. John 11, 2 is when John is in prison and Christ is doing some of his miracles. He sent two of his disciples said to him, are you, are you the coming one or do we look for another? He said, well, go and tell John what you see in here. Yes, John, John, after he was thrown in prison, things weren't at all going like John thought they were going to go. Yeah. This is not how things were supposed to be. And so he, he uh, was wondering. And so he, he sent his disciples. And that's when Jesus said he's the greatest man that's ever been born of a woman, John the Baptist, and so forth. Don't say anything bad about John the Baptist. So, yes, but I don't think that these two were in some kind of competition. John was still trying to find, make sure that he had the right Messiah picked picked out here, but he already pointed him out under the power of the Holy Spirit. So, uh, in any event, that's a, fa- that's a fair point. We'll, go, we'll leave with that. Go ahead. Well, what I would say about the thief on the cross is a lot of people say, well, look, he didn't have to be baptized. Well, I had been taught early on in my Christianity that he didn't have to be baptized because he lived under the law of Moses. Well, that may be true, but there's a much simpler explanation. And I think that's the one that we should really look to. Jesus had the power on earth to forgive sins. Yeah, they, they, it goes together with that one. He could if, forgive anybody he wanted to. He could forgive anybody he wanted to at any time. And if Jesus w- were on earth in the fleshly body today and came to you and said, your sins are forgiven, don't worry about anything they else. They would be forgiven. They would be forgiven. Right. So that's how that's the, the simplest one. That's but, a, that's the simplest. But, but the, the biggest one to understand for people today is that the thief on the cross was like any other Jew, wasn't living under the law of Christ. He, he had was, no, the message of being of repentant and baptism in Christ's name for the remission of sins that Peter preached. Right. And that and Jesus even said, you know, go and preach this gospel to every creature. He knew yeah. he was going to die very shortly. So people are are trying to figure out if they want to be saved just like the thief was, like you say. The thief was saved because Christ personally forgave his sins in his presence. I don't think you got that kind of luxury waiting for you to have Christ forgive your sin in his presence. That that was my thought. That's basically every time I read about the thief, I realize Jesus had the power to do that right at that time. He did. And any time he wanted to. Mm -hmm. That's exactly right. All right. Well, we got far afield from the question a little bit, but I think all that's an important thing to understand that what what John was preaching was a message in a precursory way, introductory way, uh, a, a repentance of people turning back to God, away from Jewish traditionalism, away from their own lives, turning back to God, and he baptized them to cleanse them before Jesus came. So when, when you say, do you believe that those who were baptized with the baptism of John had to be baptized again, after the death of Christ, well, the answer to that is, in certain circumstances, yes. It would be hard to, I mean, I don't have a scripture for this. Well, I said under certain circumstances and knowledge, it would be yes. Yeah, because of Acts 19. Right. Uh, You would also have to understand that when Peter stood up there with the apostles, other apostles in Acts chapter 2 in Jerusalem, 
And the whole place was filled with thousands and thousands of Jews who had come there. You mean to tell me when they baptized that 3,000 that day, or when they told all of them to be baptized, that there were, they didn't say, well, unless you've been baptized by John already, you're good to go. Yeah. They didn't say that at all on that day. And wherever, you don't find the disciples saying that anywhere they went. They never tried to distinguish in their call, call and plea for people to be baptized for the mission of their sins, those who've been baptized by John and those who hadn't. So it's pretty unlikely, very, very unlikely that the Jews on that day that heard Peter speak, even if they weren't baptized, were none of them had been baptized by John. In fact, the, the fact that they were baptized that day to a lot of them tends to make you think that they, many of them had heard John speak and did understand that the Messiah was coming. So uh, any event, that's another thing. And, but as we said, you need to do what Christ tells us to do in our age, which is repent, turn away from sins, and be baptized for the remission of your sins and, and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, as Peter said. And baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, Son and the, the Holy, Holy Spirit. Spirit. As not, the, in the, not in the name of John. Not in the name of John. Not in the name of John. So that's what you need to do if you're listening to us. And, and you need to do that in sincerity. And, and if you were baptized as an infant, as a Catholic or someplace else, that doesn't cover you. You can say, well, I was baptized. But you weren't baptized according to what the Bible says baptized. Because the word baptized means dipped or buried. And you, weren't, it, it, you yourself weren't a believer. You had not repented of your sins. You didn't even have any sins to repent of much less be baptized for the remission of those sins. You couldn't confess his name before men, as the eunuch did in Acts chapter 8. And in Romans you 10, you couldn't believe that he was, he was died, buried, and resurrected, which is part of the confession. Of and, then, and then also you got the problem of so many people out there today who believe the, the uh, Reformation message, not the biblical message, but the Re Reformation message that that belief itself is sufficient for salvation. Yes. And and so those people have been, have believed and think that they've been saved without being baptized, or they they didn't they weren't baptized for the remission of their sins. The well, baptism has to be done for the remission of sins, not after the remission of sins. Two different uh, prepositions, yeah. as it were. As Paul is told in Acts 22 and 16, why tarriest thou arise and be baptized and wash away your sins? calling on the name of the Lord. That's how you call on the name of the Lord. Yes. Not with the sinner's prayer. You call on the name of the Lord by submitting to his will that's how, and that's being how you're baptized. That's making your appeal to him. That, that's exactly. Well, that, that's real, the message that's missed in my view. I'm sure that I've said this a hundred times. I'm sure you've heard it, Gary. Maybe I said on the air or not. The Protestant message, the message of most churches today is, uh, well, Let's quote Jesus' message. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. But the Protestant message is, he that believeth shall be saved and then can be baptized. Now, you can't convince, I'm going to be very, it's going to be difficult for you to convince me that those two things are the same. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. That's the key word there, and not he that believeth shall be saved, and then you can be baptized. You get the order of the words all wrong. Now, I'm quoting Jesus there, not, not someone that you could dismiss easily uh, from your thinking. So just take the simple words of Jesus there and, huh. and take the voice of history, and you'll see that the Protestant baptism that occurs after salvation 
because they're afraid of somehow doing a work. And all of that teaching was done by Martin Luther and even John Calvin in response to the Catholic Church teaching that salvation is done, can be had by doing works of men. Well, that's it, not what the Bible says. That well, bas- just, it doesn't put baptism as well, a well, let me just Well, let me just read what Peter says in 1 Peter 3 and beginning about verse 20. He said, when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is, eight souls were saved through water, there is also an antitype which now saves us, baptism. He says baptism saves you. Right. Okay? Not the removal of the filth of flesh, but the answer of good conscience towards God. In other words, you obeyed what God said and submitted yourself to him. That's the answer of the good conscience. Colossians 2.12 says this, Gary. It compares baptism to circumcision given to the Jews, to send all the descendants of Abraham, actually, as a sign of their salvation, as it were, or the means of salvation. Uh, he says, in whom you are all, verse 2, Colossians 2.11, in whom you were circumcised with a circumcision made with hands in putting off of the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, wherein you also have risen with him through faith in the working of God or the operation of God who raised him from the dead. So here he says that circumcision cuts off some of the flesh, as it were, the body of the flesh, in a symbolic way that uh, indicates a putting away of the fleshly mind. Whereas baptism cuts off the flesh in another symbolic way. And he says we're buried with him in baptism and then we've been risen with him through what? Through the working Marty. of God. The idea that baptism for remission of sins is a work of man is not a biblical idea. Baptism for the remission of sins is a work of God. Okay? And so we need to understand that and, fig- and see uh, what, uh, what God says about this whole thing. And, and he doesn't say that baptism is a work of man. I mean, uh, and we should forget that baptism. That's not what he says at all. So in any event, that's um, well, we have where to... we can leave. We can go to about 20 other passages, but I don't oh, want to be yeah, I, mean... I just want people to think about that. Because a lot of very good, sincere people, well, like, take my own father while I was baptized when I was an infant. And he thought he'd been baptized. When I would preach and tell, tell him, you need to be baptized, he thought, well, I have because I was baptized as an infant. But he wasn't baptized and the way the Bible says, he, he couldn't believe. He came to understand later that he had to do the believing. He had to do the repenting. He had to do the confessing. He had to do the submission to being he, buried with right. Christ, to become a Christian, not right. a child. His parents couldn't do it for him. Titus 3.5 is one of those. Uh, basically, John, uh, Ephesians 5.26, the one we talked about, cleansing her with the washing of the water by the word. Uh, there's another one in, uh, I think, uh, you know, they're, they're all through the New Testament. It, to, to, and I haven't even dealt with John 3 when he says, I think he says, well, unless you are born of the water and the spirit, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. I think that's okay. another reference to it. Okay, yes. By the way, it's, uh, it says on my screen here that Ken is, all, is still on the line. I forgot about you, Ken. Are you still there? Yeah, yeah, Mike. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Ken. I thought that you had left. Go ahead and finish up what you're saying. We got about three minutes left here. Uh, Roman, 
Romans 2, 28, 29. So he is not a Jew. Uh, my question is, if we were grafted in, are we now Jews? In the sense that we are now part of his family. So well, Romans 2, At 20, the risk of offending a lot of uh, Jewish people or whatever, I, I believe I am a Jew, yes, because of, of this scripture you're quoting right here. When you are in Christ as a faithful believer in Christ, you're... I've, I have had that circumcision of the heart, it says. He is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart. I just read that, that there in uh, Because I Colossians am now 2. an heir according to promise to Abraham. Right. So true Christians today are the true Israel of God. I can't finish up. We've got about a minute or so here. Well, that's, oh, uh, back to the grafted in. It says the Jews can be grafted back in. Yes. Yeah, if they accept Christ. They've got to be grafted back in, though. If they haven't accepted and Christ, they don't, they're not in. <laughs> the implication of that is all those who rejected Christ rejected their, their, their access to the root of the tree. The real heirs, according to the promises made to Abraham, are those who are in Christ. That's what Paul says. Yeah. And and that and this passage indicates that the true circumcision is now of the heart. And it doesn't matter whether they're Jew or Greek or whether they're slave or free or whether they're male or female or whether they're rich or poor. Yes. And that's why I'm urging you to consider what the Bible says about baptism instead of rejecting it. Because he links in Colossians 2 this baptism to being circumcised, and, and, and that's how you become part of Israel, the true Israel of God, the ones who are praised, Judah, as it were. So anyway, that's the... I appreciate your calling, Ken, and I apologize for not realizing you were still on the line. You had something else to say. Um, we appreciate that very much. Well, I'm, I'm going to make one more comment, Mike, and then I'm going to shut then up we have for to the close show. Out the show anyway. Yeah, you're right. Uh, one of the questions was um, basically, would like to hear how about how we recognize the church or finding the church. Well, we just spent a whole show talking about the characteristics of the church. Yes. If 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 what's in the scripture is not taught where you're going, then you need to go somewhere else and find the place that does. That's exactly right. Well, we appreciate you uh, being with us today for the show. We thank you so much for those who participated by text message and on telephone. We're very grateful for you. Hope others will join in soon to the show. And we want to invite you to take a look at our website, which is wearejustchristians.com. Wearejustchristians.com. Take a look there. You can find podcasts of this show. And we'd also like to invite you to come and worship with us. We meet at 2196 Southwest Savona Boulevard, 2196 Southwest Savona Boulevard here in Port St. Lucie, corner of California and Savona. We're on the uh, southwest corner there. And you'll find just a group of Christians trying to worship according to God's will. And you'll find yourself a warm welcome if you come. Thank you so much for listening. May God bless you. WPSL, Port St. Lucie.